Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar. Weekdays at 2 on Mile High Sports. Welcome to the show. My name is Sean Trotar. Sandy Clough is uh, on my left. Those of you who are on MileHighSports.com or on the app can see that, by the way, because, of course, you can see the show uh, every single day. We enter what is oftentimes the sort of a death valley of the sports calendar during the uh, all-star death break for valley baseball. Days. Yeah, because uh, especially with the Colorado Rockies, uh, not a lot going on generating a tremendous amount of excitement. But uh, the all-star game last night ends up with a kind of interesting moment. Elias Diaz, the Rockies' uh, only representative, having a, a good year behind the plate at the age of 32, uh, not only a, a spot where uh, he has found himself in a, in a unique position as as the unquestioned starter this late in his career, but also with a good start this year, makes the All-Star game. Well, in the late goings, the NL is down. The NL, by the way, hasn't won an All-Star game since, and this is, I, this is, I, I double-checked, 2012. Well, all you needed was a 32-year-old Rocky to solve that. Not going 2-2 to Diaz. is hit in the air to deep left field. Back it goes, Elias At 32 years old in his all-star debut, a go-ahead home run. Diaz, as you heard on the broadcast last night, obviously gets the uh, NL ahead, and then they go ahead and get the win. They close it out uh, in the ninth to go ahead and get their first win since 2012 in a very tightly played game. That's one of the things about the All-Star game in baseball that I really do like is it's it's the nature of the sport. It can be played normally, more substitutions than usual, but it can be played more or less normally, something you can't do with hockey, you can't do with basketball. It can be played more or less normally. And so when you have the very best players, uh, you get three to two All-Star games. It's been watered down, but it's still the best All-Star game. And oh, that yeah. says more about the other three all-star games that it does. really don't resemble the sports they represent. Uh, you know, you, you've got the, the Pro Bowl now is a joke. They might as well eliminate it. And the, the hockey and basketball all-star games are scoring fests. Uh, this was actually a reasonably good baseball game. It held my interest. And Diaz uh, providing what only five other players have ever done in all-star a competition, first time in 20 years that there has been a go-ahead homer in the eighth inning of an All-Star game when a team was trailing. And Hank Blaylock was the last to do it in 2003. Mike Schmidt, 1981. Cookie Rojas, 1972. Gus Bell, 1954. And Ted Williams in 1941 the most famous all-star game home run. It was a walk-off at what was then Briggs Stadium in Detroit. That's how it was identified back in 1941. Briggs Stadium later became Tiger Stadium. But Briggs Stadium in 1941, and Williams hit an EFAS pitch by Luke Sewell, I believe, uh, over the wall, and... Ted Williams said it was his most thrilling moment in baseball. But that was a different era. That was, what, 
182 years ago, 100 minus 18, right? Mm-hmm. 82 years ago. And the All-Star Game meant something then. It was not even, I I think it was about a decade old. The first one was in 32. Am I right about that? I believe that's right, yeah. Um, so it would have been the 10th, and it was the last pre-war All-Star Game. And Williams won up with a home run and danced around the bases, was mobbed by his teammates. And that, of course, was the year that Ted Williams hit 406. And Joe DiMaggio had a 56-game hitting streak. So a magical baseball year, 1941. But to be in the company of the likes of Mike Schmidt and Ted Williams, Mike Schmidt, the greatest hitting third baseman, I think of all time. Uh, I, I don't know. It, it would, would be, dispute that. It would be hard Brooks to argue. and Nolan Arenado are were the two better best defensive yes. third baseman. Brett was not a good defensive third baseman at all. But the two best hitters are Mike Schmidt and, and George Brett. And yeah, you could go 50-50. And those guys were that. obviously uh, contemporaries as well. I mean, I, I grew up uh, watch, watching baseball where I could. I grew up here. The Kansas City Royals were the team that I could catch, at least on the sure. radio at times, Uh Growing out just uh, southeast of Franktown, on a clear night you could catch the Royals, and every once in a while I, I could catch a station in Colorado Springs, a TV station, Staticky, that would somehow replay the Royals game. So I mean, I was a, a George Brett fan growing up. So I actually hated Mike Schmidt because that's what I was right. when you're a little kid. Right. Well, you that, have that, a favorite player, and so the other guy. And if you like but the right-handed look, power of Schmidt, fine. You like National League baseball, as a, as a American whole. League baseball, yeah. uh, where where defense was maybe not valued as much as it was in the national league uh george brett was uh, was the standard bearer and uh so totally different for, for diaz for diaz great company yeah to be in that that is not something that happens very often and it really looked like another national league loss last night and for those of us old enough to have grown up in an era in which uh, for a while there were two all-star games played because they wanted to generate maximum revenue. Revenue and interest. And they they actually did play two all-star games, and it was okay. Um, It didn't last for very long, but in the years I was growing up, the National League always won. American League never won. The The American League was kind of the the futility. And, And Pete Rose would greet, Every new National League All-Star every year from about the mid-60s through the mid to late 1970s and say, son, this is a big deal for us. We don't lose to the American League. And you remember Pete Rose had one of the five definitely most famous or infamous plays in All-Star history when he smashed into Ray Fossey. But that was an indication that not only Pete Rose took the game seriously, but I, to me, that was a little over the top. But they were playing to win back then, and they were very serious about it. And it was still an exhibition, but it was taken very seriously. And now it, it's, you know, every team gets a player. And I thought Kyle Newman in the Denver Post was right today in saying that had there not been that rule that every team has to be represented, by at least one of its players, Diaz probably wouldn't probably have been not. In the game. Probably not. That's true. But he does end up getting the uh, the home run. He wins MVP for doing so. 
Uh, two of the three RBI driven in for the National League that night. Uh, Luis Arreyes is having a fabulous year in Miami, Knox in the other. But uh, you know what, what shocked me? A couple of things about this, too. If you want to understand how much baseball has changed, there's a couple of different things. The 59 players got into the game last night. <laughs> yeah. The game was finished in three hours and three minutes. Yeah. yeah. The all-star Kept game with all of the, with all right. the pomp with and the all circumstance, the, the fluff, the longer yeah. changes, yeah. the substituting, the talk, guys being uh, Freddie Freeman and Mookie Betts being wired while they're yeah. in the field. Yeah. A 3 3 well, game. It, it is after on an exhibition game. And I like the fact that the, the, the players are wired. I do, too. It's like fun. that, it's, I, it's I think it adds sure. something, and, and it, I, I'm not crazy about it during regular season games. Uh, I don't understand how that wouldn't be distracting, but for an exhibition game, it was great. And, and obviously, Mookie Betts, uh, Betts and Freddie Freeman made their fame with other baseball yes. teams. Now they're teammates with the Dodgers, and, and doing they had their a best nice not rapport. to tamper with uh, Shohei Ohtani. By the way, they were asked yeah. to. Fall for that. Right. As right. Show, show exactly, was up exactly. at, at the plate. Well, the that's Seattle, where everybody Seattle's has him going, right? Yeah, Seattle started chanting, come to Seattle. Right. And uh, everyone could well, hear it. Well, they got money in Seattle. They asked uh, about the money. two, and, you know, they Beautiful asked about the two park. guys. And, of course, there's a big uh, fan base there, of course, from, from Ishiro all the years back as well. So the um, uh, Betts and, and uh, Freeman both very nimbly danced around the uh, – Yes, but at the question pointing out, uh, I believe it was Freeman that said, "Well, all thirty, all thirty teams would love to have Shohei Otani." Well, yeah, because right now he's the best hitter and the best pitcher in the game. It was not enough there, for there the There are thirty AL. teams that can afford Shohei. Uh, no, there, there are not, but they would all like to have him. Uh, if for well, some reason uh, he wanted course. to work for free, uh, he won't. Be. He 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 would come here, and he would immediately become, if not the best hitter the Rockies have ever had. Far oh, away, the best, pitcher. the best pitcher the Rockies oh have ever had. Without no question. Not even close. And the funny thing is his stuff would actually play here. Not that it's ever going to happen, but the, the, his selection of pitches would actually play uh, at altitude. It's certainly the bat would. Yeah, he, he'd, he would not mind pitching here. Yeah, wouldn't have any issues. He has the right mix of things. Very interesting thing. you brought up he's not coming Arnado, here. by the he's way. Not because, coming here. Uh, rumors around baseball. And we'll have Drew Creaseman of the... Uh, of my life sports beat writer for the Rockies join us uh, in just about an hour to, to talk about the Rockies and their looming second half of the season. But uh, Nolan Arenado, as the Cardinals have had a disastrous season, right? All of a sudden, little smoke there that he might be traded. Yes, again, Arenado was asked specifically. Said it's a business. I've been traded once. I think that shocked people at the time. I guess it doesn't surprise me anymore. What happens at this game or at this time? Pardon me, and. Um, how fascinating would that be that the Cardinals who looked to, to build around Arenado and, and chase the titles of which they, with the exception of really the New York Yankees, feel there is almost a birthright with the Cardinals to be so disastrous and then to find themselves uh, having to literally look at trading off their most expensive parts, which would start essentially a fire sale and rebuild. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The Cardinals. Remarkable. Well, the baseball uh, clearly is changing, Sandy, it, and and I think it it's is. changing for the better. It is, and I, I I like the fact that there are teams surprising people, but by the same token, for for every surprise, there's a major disappointment. And I, I Cardinals would, and the Mets. I, I would look at the Cardinals and the Mets certainly in the National League as the two most obvious. Uh, examples and and maybe the only two examples of teams that have really 
dramatically underperformed because there were two teams that were considered up there with, with the Dodgers and Atlanta as prime contenders right. to win the pennant. Mm-hmm. And, and they're, they, disastrous. They're, they're disastrous. And it, it, neither will come close to making the Look, playoffs. the Mets are 600. That looks amazing. The Cardinals are 38 and 52. They're yeah. 14 under 500. They're, what? They're, the, the they're Rockies. a handful of games ahead of the Rockies. Yeah. I mean, look at that. I mean, that's that's amazing to me. And the there's a couple of the Padres, again, another year where they were expected. They've been throwing a lot of money, still not being yeah, able to get above yeah, the water. Yeah, it is, it is a tough division, though, uh, in, in the sense that you've got Arizona, a surprise Arizona team. Young and and Arizona's not a fluke. No, they're not. And, They've been investing and in the, that farm And the system. Giants are a reasonably solid team, 85 mm-hmm. to 91 team. And you know the Dodgers are probably underachieving a bit. They've had some bad luck with uh, injuries, but their system is so rich and their pocketbooks so uh, deep yes. that you don't worry about the Dodgers qualifying for the playoffs. Whether they win the division or not, who knows? I think they probably will o- overtake Arizona. Um, I think their percentage points out of Arizona right now, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, they're tied for first place, but the Dodgers yeah, the, the Dodgers are right. 573 to 571. Yeah, right. Dodgers have right. played. Uh, yeah. I, I, I'm guessing that once the Dodgers are in first, they'll probably stay there. Uh, but Arizona will be in the playoffs. But if you looked at the National League right now, if the playoffs were today, and they're not, except if you're Atlanta, you can count on it going 60 and 29 at this stage, which is comical. Plus 147 on their own. No, they have a chance to win 110 games. Atl- uh, you would have Atlanta, the Dodgers, and Cincinnati. Winning, right. winning divisions, and you would have wild cards. You would have Miami and Arizona. Yes. I mean, that's yes. – uh, and if you were to say Miami, the Diamondbacks, and the Reds, teams. all in the playoffs, yeah. I think you would have gotten a lot of people kind of staring Nobody would have believed it, but, uh, you know, this De La Cruz in Cincinnati has only been up for, what, a month? <laughs> a little more than a month. Hit for the cycle. He, he's a star. He's still I mean, second, third been, at home last week. He'd have been good in the home run hitting contest. Uh, he'd have been a legitimate all-star if he'd been with the team the whole year instead of just one month. And over in the AL, you'd have the Tampa Bay Rays. You'd have the Texas Rangers, I think, surprising. John Gray, by the way, an all-star for the Rangers. Uh, Cleveland would be winning the Central. And then you'd look at a a matchup of Baltimore. And as it stands right now, it's a tie between Houston, who you'd expect. Yeah. And, and Toronto, Toronto, who you might right. not. Right. I mean, you could be looking at Tampa, Baltimore. You could look at three teams in the AL East making the playoffs, and none of them would be named the New York Yankees or the Boston Red Sox. True. Wow. True. True. And it, I, I would say at this point, it is likely, though not guaranteed, that the Yankees and Red Sox will miss the playoffs. The Yankees have all kinds of injuries. They just fired their hitting coach, which I never that's, really understand. That's yeah. Uh, I think hitting coaches get too much credit and too much blame. And firing a hitting coach, I mean, DJ LeMahieu seems to be breaking down and hasn't hit in over a year. Is that the fault of the hitting coach? Right. Uh, when he was hitting and going great guns and even an MVP candidate once upon a time with the Yankees, nobody was crediting the hitting coach. The Yankees only one out of the wild card as it stands. Red Sox two out of the wild yeah. card. Yeah, well, they, they're, they're hanging they're in, the in mix, there, for sure. but the, the Red Sox got a nice scheduling break right before the All-Star break, and by that I mean they got three games with the Oakland A's, and it's one of the few 
teams I can remember ever. You know, I don't like to predict sweeps, right? Right. But when the Oakland A's come to town or when you go to Oakland, virtually anybody safe for Kansas City, let's say. Yep. Okay. Maybe Kansas City is thinking sweep. Is sure. thinking we're, we're going to win every game. Well, you should. Series. I mean, the, well, we're not going to win two out of three. Those, those two teams don't even have a or three out of four. We're going to sweep three hundred winning percentage. They're terrible. They're winning one out of four. I mean, that's, that's awful. The folks over at ESPN kind of like national teams feel about the Rockies. Uh, yes, you know, actually, we, we yeah. actually, whether it's Coors Field or on, well, especially when the Rockies are on the road, you expect to sweep. Rockies fourteen and thirty three on the road. That's obviously abysmal. Although uh, there there are worse teams, the aforementioned Royals and A's specifically, the three worst teams in baseball by a, a did, wide. Didn't the Royals game. get an F minus? By the way, they did. ESPN and <laughs> its uh, weekly ranking. They, they handed out their their basically half season. That's right. Uh, it's not weekly rankings. Grade. It's their half season grades. Right. Even the though Rockies it's not mid season, uh, it's the All Star. Yeah, it's the All Star break, which is a little bit past the uh, the halfway mark, but. Uh, you know who's counting, but yeah, the, the F minus. The Royals were the worst <laughs> with an F minus because uh, they're as bad as the the A's, but they're not tanking. Presumably, we know the A's are tanking yeah. to go to uh, uh, Vegas. A's uh, the Royals get an F minus. The A's get an F. The uh, Mets get an F because we talked about, oh. of course, the big money and uh, sure. disaster. The Cardinals also get an F, as do the White Sox because the White Sox remember actually kind of looked like they had a moment there that they were going to jump up. Yeah. And, uh, and and it didn't happen. But the Rockies uh, get a D minus, but with the uh, cringe-inducing question that they ask for each team, is there anything to look forward in the second half or the next half decade? <laughs> Yikes. Uh, it, it is ugly. Well, we'll pose that question in 45 minutes. We will, and we'll find out. If, you know, if Nolan Arnauto apparently on the trading block. If the Rockies are on the trading block, they most certainly should have a, a couple there, you would assume. But then it, again, it probably won't be Diaz. Diaz is probably not on the train block simply right. because they don't have a confident catcher anywhere else Correct. in the organization. Correct. And, and, and he's not exactly breaking the bank. So, uh, it but almost really anybody matter. else could be dealt. Well, if the Rockies ever decided that their talent was accurately gauged, which they unfortunately do not. That is the problem. The Rockies, if you're looking at one issue that the Rockies have in particular, it can be summarized as this. The Rockies believe their talent is better than it is year after year after year. And it's one of the reasons they don't trade them very often. And that's part of the problem. So we'll the see. The exercise in self-delusion yes. it is deep. unmatched in the history of Denver area sports. Mm-hmm. Because you're right. that They've existed for 31 seasons. I know, I know this is the years. 30th yeah. year, which it is, well, but it's the 31st season of 31st Rockies baseball. season of Rockies baseball. Right. 31st. And I, I, I will exactly exempt. As many seasons I will, as Chris Bryant is old. I, I, I will exempt uh, them from having earned this label as uh, the team that is most aggressively self-delusional. Uh, for the first seven years, okay, totally, uh, totally fair. through, through yes. the 1990s, and yet almost every year, almost every year, from 2000 through 2023, they have proclaimed themselves before the season has begun something that they haven't come close to 
to being by even Memorial Day. <laughs> I mean, we knew by Memorial Day this this is going to get bad, and their June swoon, even by Rocky standards, was uh, unusually bleak, and it hasn't gotten much better in July so far as we uh, get set for the Rockies to resume against the aforementioned New York Yankees at Coors Field. Worth on noting, Friday night. by the way, that the ownership structure as it stands today was not the ownership structure in all the first seven years either. True. That's so why I do significant accept for seven years of the it, equation. It was more of the Jerry McMorris show during that particular period of time. Certainly uh, in the 21st century, it's been uh, the Brothers Montfort, uh, although for more than a decade, clearly uh, Dick Montfort in charge of the proceedings. Well, speaking of delusions, uh, self-deluding themselves, the Denver Broncos hope that now with Sean Payton, the new ownership that they are past that phase, which has led them now to six straight seasons without a playoff appearance. uh, And uh, it has been rough. They do have some talent, maybe not as much as people think around the league. The Broncos' two best players were evaluated at their position. We'll talk about one of them, who's considered the best of the bunch, next on Mile High Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar. On Mile High Sports. The Denver Broncos training camp gets underway before you know it. It's felt like maybe a long off season, obviously, as the season prior to that ended up being uh, surprisingly poor, even for the people who, who did not think they were going to be uh, contenders, such as you and I. We didn't even see it going as badly as it did. And so for a, a lengthy off season that now... I mean, uh, you didn't pick them to go 5-12. and 12. I did not. I did not. I... Uh, I didn't pick them to make the playoffs either, but I didn't pick them to win five. So, I mean, that's obviously a bit of a disaster. Well, I, so, I, you know, usually when I pick a team to have a losing season, I'm not ashamed of the, the pick when they, in fact, do have a losing season. But to pick them to go eight and nine. Yeah. And then with five. I, I mean, that wasn't even close. No. Just a disaster of a season. On the bright side, they do have some talent, but maybe not as much as people think. Over at (laughs) at ESPN. (laughs) On one particular side of the ball, not as much as you'd think. Certainly. And 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 that I think is interesting because we'll get in we'll get into this is uh the folks at ESPN basically survey people around the league. And so in this case you're getting the folks from the NFL that work in the NFL that evaluate players that uh that actually start to, to rate the players based on, you know, if they were making their own team. And when you look at Pat Sertan, now started what will be in his third season with the Denver Broncos, the folks at ESPN had him ranked top. Everybody. Number one. And I I think that the ranking is just. I think it's fair. I also think uh, Sauce Gardner, who was second, one of the comments I think was very, very important. Uh, They talked about how good he is, which he most certainly is, but one veteran NFL scout said he's going to be great, but number one is a bit rich. He gets more hype because he plays in New York. That's the truth. I, I do think that Gardner gets more attention than Sertan because he's on the New York Jets. Well, and, and, the, and both of the teams are equally bad. But uh, I do think Sertan well, is Last better. year they weren't, though. 
Last correct. year they weren't equal. Well, you're, you're correct. You're so correct. it wasn't just that the Jets played in New York because the Jets That's had true. a better team. They had a better team, and Gardner was part of that turnaround. But uh, Sertan is the one. Last year was ranked seventh. Of course, Gardner not ranked at all. He was well, in yeah, college. Uh, Sertan jumps to number one, and uh, here's the NFL executive talking about uh, the, said here, the player. They say is Sertan. It's a changing of the guard. Uh, they point out he's only, there's only four NFL players who have ever picked off Patrick Mahomes more than once, and already Sertan's one of them. And it, people don't throw his direction that much already. Starting to get a pretty decent amount of respect around the league. It's not Champ Bailey level, but it's not non-existent. No, the, the two best cornerbacks in the history of the franchise remain, and I'm not saying Sertan can't get there, but as of right now on this particular day and. 2023, which is what July 12th. Louis Wright yep. and Champ Bailey yep. uh, in one that order, by the way, and one should be in, in that order. By right. the way, uh, are, are the two best cornerbacks uh, in history. That the best cornerback from a purely physical and intellectual standpoint is Louis Wright. To me, hands down. Uh, hands, though, that's Champ Bailey, who could have been a wide receiver and probably even about as good a wide receiver as he was a cornerback. So uh, Louie did not have the best hands. He had everything else. Champ had the best hands. Uh, Satan probably has a chance, uh, although they didn't throw at Louie that much right. either. Um Jim Zorn did when he had Steve Largent in Seattle, and, and they and they played twice a year. And Devontae and Adams got over Steve 100 Largent yards made made in both games last year too. And Devontae Adams Devontae may Adams be the kryptonite for yeah uh, for uh, Patrick Sertan. For a lot of people. I, I I would look at Sertan's season as having been well worth the designation as the best cornerback in a game for the first half of the year, not so much in the second half of the year. I thought Sauce Gardner from start to finish was the better player. Um, I I actually thought the best cornerback in football last year was Darius Slay because he made the most impact. He broke up the most passes. In fact, he's had a run the Slay was of a number of years with the Eagles, right? Uh, because he's thirty-two years old. Uh, I I think it's something like over the last decade, and I may be wrong. One hundred and thirty-three. One hundred thirty-three passes broken up, which is number one far and away, <laughs> yeah. and that's kind of what you're supposed to be doing out there right? in defending against the pass. And he made his share of interceptions last year for a team that went to the Super Bowl. And he was ranked and third was coming into the year in this same uh, survey and then dropped to fifth. I, I don't get that one. I don't know if he cares. I, I don't get that <laughs> one. But but to me, any one of the top five, Sertan, Gardner, Ramsey, Alexander, Green Bay, and Slay of Philadelphia, any one of the five could be designated number one, and you'd get no particular argument from me. I, I don't know if I would either, really. The the remainder of their 10, Marlon Humphrey, the Ravens, Marshawn Lattimore of the Saints, Trevon Diggs of the Cowboys, who had a, that huge uh, start with the picks, and then it kind of leveled off a bit. Denzel Ward of the Browns. Remember, uh, Denzel Ward of the Browns, if folks can remember that, uh, the Broncos thought they hit the lottery because uh, they had the fifth pick in the draft right. that Cleveland year. Cleveland took not Cleveland, Bradley Chubb. Surprised they were by picking Denzel take. Ward. Yep. I, with all due respect to Bradley Chubb, 
Denzel Ward's had a better NFL career. better career. Uh, as a much so better career. Knock it if you will, but it's been worked out. AJ now, both have had injuries, too. You yes. can say, well, Chubb had injuries. Listen, Denzel Ward's had injuries, sure too. Has. And he's, without question, one of the 10 best cornerbacks in the game. Honorable no, mention, no uh, Xavier Howard of the Dolphins, who's obviously very talented. Very Tracy good. Horn of the Panthers, same draft as Sertan. Uh, Tariq Woolen of the Seahawks, uh, physical uh, Yeah, absolutely. We talked about him yesterday. Yeah, Tredavious White of the Bills and Algerius yeah. Sneed of the Chiefs were the honorable mention, but yeah, uh, this I, I I presume, and I'm just gonna look at this other side. I'm gonna presume this validates the selection of Pat Sertan. You've picked the top corner in the league and one of the premier positions in the league. That said, given the disaster of quarterback ever since and the cost taken to get Russell Wilson, as strange as it sounds, I think there's an argument to be made that you could have still taken Justin Fields and maybe be better, better off. I'll give you a better argument. Micah Parsons was mm. ranked last year by the same panel. Might be the best defensive player in football, period. As the best off-ball linebacker. He was categorized as an edge rusher, and he came on number three behind Bosa and Garrett. Well, you're talking about a guy that can play edge rusher, can play inside linebacker, can play outside linebacker, uh, could even you know cover, has, has even spent time covering the slot in his career <laughs> Uh, over at Dallas, I mean that you, you can't look at that at a certain point. Look, there is not a better defensive player in the game. You, you than Micah Parsons. the Broncos, but in no way, shape, or form, blew the pick. This is why when when <laughs> Michael Jordan was selected third overall, uh, nobody picks on the Houston Rockets on passing on Michael Jordan because you picked Akeem Olajuwon and you can't really complain about that. It's the same buoy pick that Portland made. That's the one that everyone picks on. So if you want to argue that. Uh, the Broncos could have made a better pick. I suppose that's possible. But when you got a guy that can be fairly argued as the best at his position in the league at a position of critical importance, uh, you did fine. It's just that it is still a quarterback's league, and that's really tough to get around. I, I understand that. Uh, I think Micah Parsons is much more disruptive, not only than Patrick Sutan, but but most every person uh, versus on this yeah. list, uh, whether you're talking about edge rushers, Tackles, off-ball linebackers, safeties, corner. Nick Bosa, T.J. Watt. I, I don't know. I, 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 that, that's the level I, of guys you've got to talk about. I, you know, I know Nick Bosa's rated number one, and there's no reason not to put him there. But Micah Parsons is 24. Uh, Nick Bosa's 25. But Micah Parsons is 24, and every year he expands his game. He's the one guy I'd look at among all these defensive players and say, he could play any of these positions, and he'd be fine. Yeah. He could play inside a tackle. He has played off-ball linebacker. He has covered like a safety would. Mm-hmm. He's as good a He's cover covered, guy yeah. as any of the safeties are, including Justin Simmons, by the way. And, you know, the, the corners, they, they're corners. <laughs> you don't look at Patrick Satan and say, well, he could play three or four other positions. You don't say that. He could play safety. Micah Parsons, you you can play him anywhere you want. And the interesting thing to me was uh, listening uh, last year when there was so much talk about the Randy Gregory deal and Dallas really wanted to keep him. And Jerry Jones is a gas that they lost him uh, because they tried to put – something into his contract that maybe the Broncos should have included in his contract that had to do is 
his availability or lack thereof. He only played six games for the Broncos last year. And the defensive coordinator, Dan Quinn, said, we can replace Randy Gregory any anytime. The well, guy we can't replace, replace is Micah Parsons. A year, Micah yeah, Parsons is the heart, soul, and uh, really the, the nerve center of the Dallas defense. He positions everybody. He, he's not even 25 years old. And he's a coach on the field, much more so than Randy Gregory. Sertan has gotten the respect around the league. When you look at the numbers, a 12.5% target rate, lowest among cornerbacks with more than 201 snaps, and Sertan paid 533 snaps. Now, some of that has to do with the respect for Sertan. Some of that has to do with the fact that on the other side for the majority of the year, they were testing a fourth-round rookie into Mari Mathis. And for the, you know, obviously, if I'm a quarterback, I can tell you which one I'm likely to pick on. Now, there are differences. For example, the Devontae Adams thing. Yeah, I'm kind of throwing to Devontae Adams against anybody. I'm going to take that game. Well, sure, sure. But, again, the, the, the idea that you couldn't ever throw at Sertan was disproven by the Raiders twice. Mm-hmm. And more often during the second half of the year, I mean, you, you had people – Baker Mayfield didn't have any fear of throwing at Patrick Sertan. DJ Moore did a yeah a good job in that game, obviously. So it's 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 interesting. AFC Scott in this in this Eastman report said he separated himself, and I don't think it's close. If you're picking a team, you're picking him first. That I presume you'd have some questions with. Not that it's a any sort of denigration of Sertan, but the idea that you said any of the top five guys, if you you could make a pretty cogent argument, right. oh, but yeah. they're the best one. Yeah, I, absolutely. I, you know they they describe Sertan. Uh, there's one quote in there that I think describes him as uh, as a uh, great tackler. I, I, I think it was more a great tackler than a big hitter. I, outstanding. You're looking they, at. they said outstanding open field tackler. I I don't agree with that. I, I I think he has room to grow in that area. I think he does. But I think he's better than most. I think he's better than most corners, though, well, especially most yeah. young corners. But but you're talking about somebody. But if you're saying he's the best corner, of the best, regardless, you're of saying age, he's outstanding in that area of the game. He's not. Uh, you weren't watching the Broncos. I understand nobody watched the Broncos, especially the second half of the year when they got taken off national TV. First reason. half of the year, they were on all the time. And, and the first half the first of the half. year was a great half he for Sertan. He played the position as well as it can be played the first half of the year. And look at the scores of the games. Compared to the second half of the year, and I understand he was operating behind a pass rush that during the second half of the year, put less pressure on quarterbacks than all but one team in the league. They were 31st in the second half of the season in quarterback pressure rate. So I understand he's operating in that environment, and that alone might have made people more inclined to occasionally look his way, especially when you had Devontae Adams playing for you. And you know nobody thinks Derek Carr is one of the top five or ten quarterbacks in the NFL, but Anybody throwing to Devontae Adams is not going right. to be afraid of Patrick. And, and this is the part of where when you do these evaluations for players, it is tricky because I think you're getting into that, Sandy, and it's a great point. Uh, we talked about this at multiple times last season. You are willing, if you're playing this basically the number Broncos last year, to take more chances because you realize you really just need to put 17 points up on the board. Well, sure. Total, and you're going to win. You, you can play and conservatively. You, yes, you can play conservatively, and you can also take your chances here and there because well, you're not that worried yeah. that Denver's going to find a way to cash it in. 
And and that's the hard part. So Sertan can be outstanding, but obviously this is uh, the cornerback position is another one of those positions that is dependent. Not as much as, say, a wide receiver, but I don't care how good you are as a cover man. If you don't get a pass rush, eventually the receiver, who knows where he wants to go, is going to be able to beat you, who's trying to figure out where he wants to go. The rest of the team, and particularly the rest of the defense, has to catch up with Patrick Satan, with the exception of Justin Simmons. Correct. And when that happens, and when the Broncos become at least a competent team, which they have not been for the last six seasons. Correct. They were a competent team in 16. Yes, they were. But for the last six years, they have not been. And obviously, he's not yet played on a competent team. When the team becomes competent slash respectable, we can make, I think, a more reasoned evaluation of Patrick Sertan and again whether he's number one or number five doesn't make any difference to me and I'm sure it doesn't make any difference to Sertan the one thing they definitely got right there is not a smarter more instinctive player at the cornerback position than Patrick Sertan he's he's got the goods he knows what everybody's assignment is and that's, it, that's certainly in the secondary. That's a critical he part of that job. Everything there is to know about playing. Because when you lose a step or two, which at this his age he's not likely to, but when you do, uh, knowing the game is what keeps you near the top. And that's what you see from a guy like a Darius Slay, for example. He knows uh, what he's doing now, out there. Gar- Gardner's got the most moxie, and sure. he's the most outspoken. So that that's another. And reason. Sertan he is quite attention. the opposite of that. He's, he's a laconic guy; doesn't really want to talk at all. I, I think the reasons, there were three reasons, and playing in New York is one of them, certainly. But I think it's less important than the other two reasons, one being the Jets were a respectable team, certainly on defense last year. They didn't have a quarterback. And the second thing is Sauce Gardner likes to talk, and Patrick Sutan is not a talker, at least for public consumption. It, so Sauce Gardner, I mean, he gets into Twitter battles with, Asante Samuel yesterday on, other teams. on who was better, him on, or on who was better, <laughs> not, between, not between not uh, between Gardner and uh, Samuel, but who was better between Gardner and Sutan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so he gets into that stuff. Can you imagine Patrick Sutan no. on Twitter getting into a debate with Darius Slay as to whether he's better than Jalen Ramsey? Right. I mean, it's complete nonsense. Yeah, it's a very strange way to put it for sure. Well, we'll get back to the Broncos in a bit and get back to one of his uh, mates in the backfield. But we'll turn our attention briefly to the Colorado Avalanche, who also have been uh, busy in the offseason. The uh, reviews there for the the grades in the offseason, maybe a little more bullish than even Sandy and I are. So what does that mean for the Az? We'll discuss next on My Life Sports. Let me talk to you. Let me talk to you. Let it rain. Let me talk We're changing. Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Burnham Law. Hire the winner at BurnhamLaw.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. 
The Colorado Avalanche season ended earlier than they wanted due to uh, injuries in part, due to uh, drama in part, <laughs> but arguably due to a lack of secondary scoring. The, the, the oh, defense I... was good enough. The goaltending was good enough. The top line, even with the injuries, good enough. Secondary scoring, especially on those third and fourth lines, the problem. Now, the Rockies, pardon me, the Avalanche, uh, addressed the top Six guys. They added Jonathan Duran, who formerly played Halifax Mooseheads with with uh, Nathan McKinnon. We think that's a big gamble. It could pay off, but it's a gamble. And even the Avalanche oh, knows a gamble on the one year eight hundred thousand dollar deal he's getting. You know, it, they're they're not paying him, so he's going to get the first. Not a gamble. Yeah, he's going to get the first crack at that top line uh, because it, they he, he will because of his major junior experience playing with McKinnon, and maybe that's all he needs. I mean, you're playing with McKinnon and Rantanen. Just be in the right place at the I'll right time. I'll tell you, you what, know? but after scoring 17 goals in four years, you've hit the lottery. You're playing with two you of get, the best 10 players. And in a guy the that, that knows you and that actually is a personal friend invested in you right. getting better. I mean, right. it's it, the put it this way if Duran can't get it right, then he yeah, just can't he's play. He's done. Yeah, then that's he's it. Done. That's it. Then he's done at 28. Ryan Johansson takes over the second line center as JT Comfort leaves via free agency. And then depth in those next two lines. Of course, we thought the, uh, the trade. You hate trading younger players, but the Avalanche have a championship window open. The deal for Alex Newick that brought back Ross Colton. I think Colton is a better player and maybe even oh. a significantly better player today. Absolutely. And then added Miles Wood, a guy that, uh, as you've correctly pointed out, needs to find a way to stay out of the box with some careless penalties. Regularly a problem there, but can really skate. And those are going to be guys on the bottom two lines. Um, the players they lose, obviously we talked about Comfer, Eric Johnson. They decided not to retain him. Uh, they traded away Newhook, as we mentioned. Also guys that played uh, at least minutes late in the year. Uh, Lars Eller, who was added at the trade deadline. Uh, Darren Helm, who had played a role for the Avs in the last two years. Dennis Malgan, and then Evan Rodriguez, who I think the Avs would have liked to have kept, but made uh, had too good a year and was able to hop somewhere else. So For a long-term deal. Finally, which he had never been able to get. Right. So that was, And I don't even think the Avs were going to offer that either, not at the age of 29. So those are the players they lose. And they kind of gave that money to Wood, didn't they? They did. And... Wood's a little younger mm-hmm. and, a, and a better skater. And if, if not yes, as, a, as not as good an skater. overall See, player, that, but a better skater. That's the area where, where I think we, we can, without fear of contradiction, say that they have markedly improved. Uh, their third line people can skate. And Gagliano, even at his age, he can still skate. Skater, oh, yeah. Right? Yes, he can. And that was why Helms, uh, was, that's why Helm was useful. Because he can, he can still skate. Even in his 30s, he could skate. Yep. Skating, skating the, the raw speed. And remember, the trick in hockey, the raw speed isn't the big deal. The difference is how many strides it takes to get up to full speed. Now, Nathan McKinnon happens to be blazing fast, but that's even not the problem. The problem is Nathan McKinnon's at full speed in two From strides. From standstill. Yeah. And, and so that's what the difference maker is. It's the ability to get in and out of that. So uh, for the folks at ESPN, they took a look at it. Only a handful of teams graded out with pure A grades. And some of those teams, as you expect, oh, had a lot of yeah, room to grow. Yeah. You had the, the Arizona Coyotes, who, of course, uh, you know, had two, two of the first the 12, 12 yeah. right? The Blackhawks, who had really nowhere to go but up and certainly had been dumping some of their players, the L.A. Kings and the New Jersey Devils, the Anaheim Ducks. But the Avs, despite being a championship-caliber team, got one of the rare A-minuses from ESPN. And here's what they said. Secondary scoring up was a regular season issue that bled into why the Avs were knocked out of the first round. The Avalanche addressed those needs and did so while maximizing every cent of what was comparatively limited cap space. Duran and Johansson give them top six for players, while Colton and Wood could be used to anchor the bottom six. Being in a championship window is why the Avs have had just 16 total picks since the 2020 draft, but trading Alex Newhook 
to get second round or second first round pick and using those picks on center Callum Ritchie and defenseman Mikhail Goyev gave the Avs a potential starting point for restocking their farm system. That and they added Bowen Byram on a bridge deal to buy more time before his asking price considerably rises. And of course, as mentioned in that new hook trade, that's where you got Colton as well. So, I mean, that trade obviously comes out very well. It, it seems to me that they're not necessarily the avalanche knocked the offseason out of, out of the park. It's more given the limitations of their cap space, they did about as well as they could do. I agree completely with every word in that assessment. I just don't think it's exceptional. I think it's solid, but it, it doesn't well, strike me sure as exceptional. we're sure that Duran is going to be a top six player. We're hoping. That's the one well, I would, that, I, that's the one I take I issue I still say, say it's, it's solid. I mean, but you're about I a guy that was a. You know, I, I don't know if he's he's going to have to earn a top six spot. They're not just going to put oh, him no, on the left wing on the top line and say it's yours. Uh, have no. at it. Uh, Eighty-two games, whether you're real good or real bad, we prefer you to be real good. But it's your job. Well, for not when you have Lekin no. and Nachushkin no, sitting back you, there. You have no. options. Sure, you have, you have options. options. Uh, guys who have moved up successfully, and you just named the two who have been most successful. Lekin can play anywhere. He can play sure. anywhere. First line, second line, third line, two way forward, everywhere and anywhere. And and there's an argument to be made that he actually fits well on that top line because he gives them a little defensive presence as well as uh, Rantanen, who's good defensively. But you also understand with Rantanen and McKinnon, you need to get opportunistic goals. You're not the focus. Uh, and and Lekkinen is one of those guys that can get opportunistic goals and doesn't need to go out there oh, and score. You know, these are not goal scorer. are unselfish when right. it comes to. Right. Well, that's the thing. You need, to be, you need to be ready to shoot when you when you get the opportunity. But you're not the objective, and you're not going to be the focus, and that's well, okay. No, no but it, 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 you're talking about a guy who's had 17 goals in four years. I'd take 17 goals this year and I, as, a, as a sign that and at I least think, he's on the right track. Here's the thing is, at 28, I think he could actually do that. I, th- I, th- I, am, I am bullish. If he scores 17 to 20 goals, then that was a brilliant sign. He more than pays for himself. Yeah. Right? At, at, at basically veteran minimum. Yeah. I mean, that's a, you know, that's, that would have been a great deal. We know the talent is there, but 17 goals would be his third best scoring season in his career. That's the problem. He's maxed out at 21 back in the 16 17 season with, with the Tampa Bay. Tampa. Light. Not Montreal. Correct. Montreal, it's Montreal, he never scored. No, 13 in his first year, 17, 18, and then 18 in that 2018, 19 season. Then after that, uh, injuries have been a part of that, but seven, two, six, and two goals. However, if you're looking for a positive sign, uh, the helpers, at least the assists, have been actually rather consistent. The one bad year we only played 27 games, only got eight. But otherwise, he's hovered around an average of about 20 assists a year, even despite the fact he's had shorter than average seasons. If, if he comes up with 40 to 50 points, you keep that 20, 25 assists with Brandon and McKinnon and you score 17 to 18. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think now, you get- if you're 45 to 50 points, I'll, I'll expand. And he has done 40 that three to seasons. 50 points. That's three fine. seasons. He's done that in his career out of his eight. He but doesn't not have to score four. 70, 75 no, points. No, no. He was earmarked for that once when he was the third I mean, overall. I, pick, I would expect that was a long time ago. Brandon and McKinnon to do what they did last mm-hmm. year. And both were 100 point producers. Yes. I expect they'll both be that again. I, I so that's the case. what's that? Obviously, two hundred fifty points <laughs> front line on the top line. That'd work. be enough. I yeah, don't, care. I, I don't I, care how it splits. Yeah, I would think you'll 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 take that. But it is it is interesting to look at the depth there when you talk about it, the the skating because uh, Johansson obviously uh, 
the, the injuries here and there have limited his skating. Obviously, he missed a big chunk of, of the previous season with that injury as well. But you're also looking on that second line, which is a, a line with Nachushkin and Lekkinen. Uh, Johansson's role doesn't have to be out there flying. He has to be positioned well. He has to be able to hand it out right. Uh, I think the veteran knowledge is there. And now you're right. Now you have a third line that can actually they can skate. The third line can skate. Third line can skate. I, I want to get back to Johansson in the second line just to make mention again of the fact that uh, he wins close to 60% of his face-offs. Huge, especially in, when in we're getting in, in special team so, situations. So, That's and, immensely and, and he's been well over 50% for at least a decade. Yeah. He's one of the guys. I mean, he's, he's one of the better been, face-off men. Yes, one of the best One of the best there has been. And so uh, for the Avs, uh, I, I do think that, you know, it's hard to get better given the fact that the talent was there and given the fact you don't have Landis Gog, but I do get what ESPN is saying, that given what they had to work with. And I that's part the of the A-minus grade. I, I would give him a B. I'd give him a B. But I think part of the A-minus uh, grade is that ESPN measured what they could have done and what they actually did and found that they actually did maybe even a little more than most people thought they could have well, done. Well, and if Duran works out... Then, then it's an A. Then it's an A. I mean, that's the thing. And a lot of it comes comes to him. But, boy, that third line improvement. When you look at Miles Wood, Ross Colton, uh, Logan I want O'Connor, guys who can skate on the third that line. That third line is a monumental skate. upgrade with adding Colton. And they Wood. don't have to have great hands. It's they don't have to huge. be major scores. But they have to be a threat to score, and they have to be rock solid defensively, and they have to be able to kill penalties. And that has been, frankly, an avalanche weak point, although – I thought in the playoffs, the one good thing they did was kill penalties against Seattle. They mm-hmm. weren't very good otherwise. The power play was awful, and nobody scored outside of the top line. So hopefully that works out a little better next season, but uh, at least the, the folks around the NHL pretty comfortable with what the Abs have done. I want to remind you that over at Superbook Sports, we're changing the game. Help your bets stay hot this summer at Superbook Sports, the most trusted name in sports gambling with a direct line to Las Vegas. And now when you use the promo code Mile high, you score up to $250 with their first bet bonus. That means win or lose, Superbook will match your first bet with up to $250 with promo code Mile High. That's easy enough to remember, right? So here's how you do it. Download the Superbook Sports app, enter the promo code Mile High. That's that easy. You get $250 courtesy of Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. The Colorado Rockies have the All-Star Game MVP. And Elias Diaz, now what does that mean for the second half of the season? Uh, it doesn't mean a pennant, but for a team that's in the spot the Rockies are in, what can they do? What should they do? We'll break it all down with Mile High Sports own Drew Creaseman next. Everybody wants to be my enemy. Smell the sympathy. Everybody wants to be my enemy. 